You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I'm David Scales. This is the Surf Splendor Podcast. Welcome back. If you're somewhat new to the show, we do weekly episodes, alternating formats, two episodes of Surf News a month, and then two profile pieces. With these profile pieces, we keep coming back to surfboard shapers. That wasn't really part of my design for the show initially. Yes, I planned to interview surfboard shapers. My second episode ever was actually with Eric Arakawa, but I planned to rotate the Shaper interviews with pro surfers, photographers, filmmakers, publishers, etc., which we obviously have done, but I always find myself more interested in surfboard shapers, and I'm curious if you, the listener, actually feels this same interest or maybe the same compulsion that I have. Perhaps it's just that surfboards are the center of our surf experience, and that's why these people are fascinating to me. You know that I'm actually writing two new surfboards that I've been talking about a lot on this show. A shortboard and a nose rider that I got from Roger Hines. So there's more about that conversation to come next week with Roger Hines. But I think that these uh, Shaper series episodes appeal to me on a couple of different levels. Shapers are craftsmen. They are artists who work within a medium that is ultimately dictated or even constrained by physics. It's not just a creative pursuit. It's constrained by hydrodynamic principles. So the work requires this really unique blend of both sides of the brain, a unique art and science duality. That creates, I think, a really interesting space for these conversations to take place. The other fascination I have with shapers is that they live in a very distinct space in which to view surf history and culture. They have a real reverence for the history. Their work is actually really dependent upon it. But they also oftentimes have worked with, worked directly with, iconic and notable surfboard shapers. Not to mention notable surfers, oftentimes professional surfers. So their whole existence has been infused with surf luminaries. But the work really doesn't pay very well, so they often have kind of this notoriety of quote-unquote celebrity, but without any of the wealth or trappings that can lead to pretension, or oftentimes it leads to an abandoning of the work. So the shapers have, again, this kind of notoriety, but they have to toil away for years and decades even on the work and really refining their craft. And that's the other detail, actually, is just the work. The work itself is hard. So all this work ethic steeped in surf history and culture, processed by that unique left brain, right brain combo that I was talking about, creates these infinitely fascinating individuals, these characters. And that leads me to today's guest, Wayne Rich. Last weekend, Wayne Rich was inducted into the International Surfboard Builders Hall of Fame. He's a two-time winner of the Icons of Foam shaping competition at the Boardroom Show. 
He's a very accomplished surfer. He's colorful. He's charming. He has strong ties to every layer of the surf industry. He's based in Santa Barbara County, and he builds surfboards by hand, so his production remains fairly low. But iconic surfers and shapers alike all have Wayne Rich surfboards. The boards and everything that we discuss in this episode is viewable right now on surfsplendorpodcast.com. In this conversation with Wayne, we get a little bit off into the weeds. In regard to surfboard design, it gets really detailed and nuanced. And then when I ask Wayne who he'd want to order a surfboard from, but within these conversations, Wayne unpacks a lot of surf history and he weaves in a lot of really valuable information in regard to surfboard design. So I encourage you to really tune into this episode and don't overlook that stuff. Not only is it really great information and insight from Wayne, but it's information that I don't think you'll find anywhere else. You won't find it in any surf magazines. You won't find it in any surf videos, at least not to the degree to which Wayne unpacks it here. And I think that's a really cool aspect of this podcast platform is just unpacking dense and heady topics. Anyway, I'm glad to introduce you to Wayne. Once again, my name is David Scales. This is Surf Splendor, and here's my conversation with surfboard shaper Wayne Rich. Wayne Rich was introduced to the ocean by his mother. I asked him about her and the influence she had on his formative surf experiences. You know what's nice? I just got this really warm feeling that went through my body. Really? That's really cool. That lets me know she's here. I, I distinctly remember being three, about three years old approximately, right in there. And, and being at the beach, we... Uh, I lived on 1st Street in Hermosa Beach until I was two, and then 7th Street in Hermosa Beach after that. And when, be, but at, at about three, being somewhere down in, in that area at the beach, being, being carried into the water, and, and that fear of the waves and the noise, and the, it was a lot. And having her explain to me not to be afraid like it's okay it's okay it's fun she made it seem fun and that was really really it it calmed me down where i i trusted her kind of as a baby mm. the kid and uh i remember her like teaching me <gasps> you know take a breath and go under and she took me through a short a little short pound peeler as we as she walked me out she taught me right then how to hold my breath and go under the lip and through the back of the wave mm. so actually I became very comfortable that that was fun although I still had it was it was still an exhilarating scary experience but it, but I trusted her so then it was okay so I really I feel really thankful for that because it was almost like a baptism of of not to be afraid 
Sure. To be in the ocean. <laughs> That's interesting that you actually have such a distinct memory from such a young age. <clears throat> Made pretty big impact, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose so. It was it that, was pretty awesome. I mean, when you think about it, we come from water. I mean, we're in the womb right. for nine months, so you're just returning. Yeah, and, and just um, as little babies or kids like that, little little young kids, we're so weak. We just reach for mama and we trust, and, and then it, it gave me that that feeling. But I remember the feeling. I remember it fully. I remember going under and the feeling of the water going over the in crap kind of like going over the top of us and coming out the back and mm -hmm. being able to then be able to breathe again hmm. so it was like that's a part of how a wave works <laughs> right, right? <laughs> yeah uh did your mom surf <clears throat> she actually was a surf mat rider oh she was yeah we we rode the air mattresses as kids hmm. and uh the really, you know, not super inflated ones. Of course, as as kids, uh, as we got a little older, we wanted those really good ones. You could rent up at 16th Street. You could rent these really heavily aired up ones with a compressor, you know, that, mm -hmm. and, and you could stand up on those and surf them. So we were standing up and surfing on those. Like, mm -hmm. I was doing that when I was five years old. I was already standing up in the soup, riding those and standing up and they they do three sixties and stuff. You know, we were doing three sixties on them. Wow! As little kids, you'd put your drag your hand and it just spin and you'd go right up on the sand and then it would catch and you'd go flying off and land all awkward. And, you Have know. you ridden one of those in recent years? <clears throat> no, they've made a bit of a resurgence. You know? Oh yeah, George. I mean, gosh, if you ever watch George ride one, yeah. and then and those guys, they I've got friends who who are who are into it. It's really pretty cool to watch and totally i never fully understood how to ride one when i was a kid okay. we were we were always thinking if you air it up more it would be better you could use it to drive off the bottom and try to angle with it but but actually it's the other way around mm. you know but we couldn't wait i'll tell you what you learn on something like that and you you look at people like i was looking around at these guys on these boards i'm going hey i don't i don't want this i want to be one of those guys sure before Wayne was trusted to surf in the ocean, he had to prove his competence as a lifeguard. In a fortuitous turn of events, this actually planted the seed for his future career as a board builder. Okay. Rudy Bendixson was my swimming instructor. And the, uh, the, the swim gym was a famous old swimming pool place that was owned by a very famous... Uh, Lifeguard Paul Matthews and his wife, nicest people in the world. It was right on Pier Avenue, um, across the street from where Eddie Talbot's shop, BT Surf, is. You know, it's up a little ways now. It's all a bunch of condos and stuff. But everyone went there, yeah. and it was uh, in those days. If you were going to surf or be an accomplished surfer, you a lot of the people who rode big waves they were all lifeguards everyone was a lifeguard so my mom so i was going to be if i was going to be allowed to serve i had to become a junior guard and i had to become capable of surviving the ocean and that i had to prove that before i could have 
my own first custom surfboard. Like okay. now, I could go with them. I had a little belly board and things, and and uh, stuff like that. But so, junior guards five years from the time I was ten till I was fifteen. So okay, let's paint some of the context for the listener. I mean, you grew up, obviously, Hermosa Beach. It's the South Bay. That was a pretty important time in surf culture. You were in the midst of um, a lot of board builders, Mm. um, Bing, Rick, Hap Jacobs, Dewey Weber. Can you kind of tell me about that experience and what that was like growing up there? Well, you know, like, it was a godsend to grow up three blocks away from the little the little valley called Pollard Valley, okay? And that was where everything was. It ran between, uh, you know, 6th and 8th Street there, and and it was it was like a, a couple of giant city blocks hooked together, and it was the only main industrial area in Hermosa Beach. Okay. Very small town. It's one of the smallest towns in all of California. Is it? Oh yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, it's it's only like a mile deep by a couple of miles max long. You know, it's it's tiny. Mm-hmm. And we were in you know the lower end of it was kind of like it was a little tough, rough area. Sure. Back then, it was totally different than now, and uh, but a cool beach town. And South Bay is. Still, I feel really proud to have been allowed to be around those people. Mm-hmm. And and uh, um, as far as like, yeah, growing up there, you don't know any better. You're just a kid. My sister, Zona, she used to go up to 22nd Street because that was where everything was happening in the water. Okay, everybody hung out on the beach. You could actually drink beer on the beach back then. Right. And they had parties and all of the great... Local surfers, the South Bay crew, um, were up there just hot dogging and and creating a lot of the modern dance that we see that happens on on longboards. You know, who were the surfers in the area at the time that were doing that? Well, there were uh, there was uh, Ricky Hatch was one of the really hot guys. There was. Uh, um, John Baker, Henry Ford, Dewey was up there, uh, Skipper Fats Harwood. Um, there was uh, just, yeah, I just got the chills again, just a <laughs> nice feeling. These are people who've been really influential in my life. And, you know, Dewey was a really charismatic, radical character, okay? Knew him well, shaped for him for five years. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he knew more about surfboard design than the world will ever be able to give him credit for. Really? Yeah. As a surfer, he was a very he was a very intellectual guy, mm. and uh, he's got a you know as a radical partier, which everybody was back then. He just took everything to the extreme, okay. and that's the way he was. He was an insane wrestler. He was an incredible surfer, and it had a great vision and an eye for artistical things as well yeah he was also that yo-yo champ thing but really cool the duncan yo-yo champ i mean that's skill you know oh yeah totally unbelievable stuff i remember he had his yo-yos one time he showed them to me these were not normal yo-yos okay these were made on a lathe custom okay no these were like 
the most trick yo-yos I've ever seen. Really? <laughs> Some gnarly machinist made them all, and uh, they were like like uh, Swiss watch type quality. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. But um, now there were uh, you know Daryl Dickey. There was the Double Deuce Danglers up there, mm. and uh, just as a little kid to be dragged up there by my sister and and be able to catch the end of that era before it transitioned into the shorter stuff was a was I'm just a really happy I was allowed to go up and and just see it as a as a as you know a 8 9 10 year old kid right then Wayne kicked his way around the beach and through his swim instructor Rudy Bendixson connected with her husband and the surfboard building community. Wayne was completely unaware of it at the time, but aside from what Hobie was doing 40 miles to the south, he was smack in the center of the surfboard building universe. Being surfboards, really classy guy, Bing Copeland, nice man, good people. They had a, they had a, a crew. They were really strong, and everybody had their strengths. Greg Knoll had his, and then, you know, and then as it got into the early 70s, like from late 60s into the early 70s, Bing was still rolling pretty good. So they rolled into the tran- they rolled in through transitional into the shortboard, and the first shortboards real well with a lot of a lot of power they were doing pretty good and there was a lot of a lot of energy around that shop a lot of great people you had Danny Bendixson doing he was one of the him Mike Eaton yep Chris and Steve Schlickenmeyer Chrissy's brother was also one of the great shapers there uh, uh, Dick Dick Mobley he used to call him the fox yeah he used to why was it tougher than nails right okay yeah he would uh, he'd be in a situation and 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 he'd 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 be able to guys would be picking on him whatever and he'd get them to pick on him and then he'd just beat the hell out of them. Really? Yeah, he was tougher. Than, yeah, so they called him the fox. But uh, but <clears throat> there was uh, there was just a great bunch of people up there. Mike Collins. He he was. I remember uh, as a kid, uh, one of the coolest things going in there. I, I've always told this story. I always carried a dust mask with me because that way I could go in and clean up if if they, you know, if Bing came in there and he, what are you doing in here? You know, it was like, oh. I'm cleaning up for Bendixson. Okay, I don't see him around, but, you know, yeah. well, Eaton's over there, you know. Yeah. So what was your introduction to board building then? Dan Bendixson. And how did you get into it? Uh, well, I Rudy was my swimming instructor, and then I was still at the swim. And then, you know, my mother was friends with Rudy, and and my sister used to babysit for Rudy and Dan, okay, Christy, their daughter. And so it was it was like, it's a small town. I only lived about five blocks away from them. They lived on 10th Street. So... I mowed their yard and stuff, and so I got this job for two bucks, two bucks to mow the yard. I think I mowed it. I don't think it was. It might have been once every two weeks. I mowed the yard. I got two bucks each time. I was making big dough. 
Nice. And I'd walk around the garage and look around, and Danny wasn't there. A lot of times he was off working, and and I'd see all these boards, and it just tripping out. Yeah. And the smell of the wax and all that stuff. You see all that, all that cool stuff like that. You know the wax and the looking around, and you just walk through. It's like a museum of all this stuff. You and I'm like, I want to be able to. I didn't think then I wanted to shape surfboards. Or I just wanted to be a surfer. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to become a surfer somehow. It was like that was dead set, and then ended up lucky enough to you know get to do that. So you started working in the Bing factory, essentially? No, I never worked in there. I'd just go down and see Dan shape. Because so, okay. I asked him, you know, I said, wow, you know, you make these. Yeah, because come on down. He was so nice to yeah. take the time to, for a kid like he did for me. It was mm. so nice of him. You know, he took me on my very first out-of-town surfing trip in a VW, in their VW Squareback to... Uh, San Onofre. We drove down. At the time, he was, uh, you know, let's see, I can't remember exactly when, but um, we rolled rolled down, we checked the surf at Cotton's Point. They were good friends with the Arness family. James Arness, Gunsmoke, and Rolf, his kid. So, um, we pulled in at Cotton's Point to check the surf that's my first time checking Cotton's Point, and it was just—it was just so bitching to come down this private road and get out and walk up and look at the surf with all these guys, and I'm this little kid just tagging along. Mm-hmm. What a what a wonderful thing to get to do. Yeah, I'm really lucky. Yeah. So then we went down Surf San Onofre, and it was just—I had a time of my life, and it was—it was great. Yeah, and it was like. And not long after that, within within a couple of years, he'd shape me a my first custom board. And, but I'd go down there and watch him shape, and it was it, so that was it. And walk, just walking through that Bing factory, and and observing all these these really cool things that were going on, it was like it was pretty overwhelming. Now I didn't think I'm going to be doing that yet because yeah. it was way too like those the. Planer, I couldn't even pick up a Rockwell hardly. Really, at that time, I mean, because you were so young, and I was little. Yeah, and and those tools were real big. Sure, <laughs> they, were, they were huge. And you know, somebody turns on a router, and and all that stuff flying, and it just it just was very technical. Then the the resin and the smell, of the resin and the dust, and the it it just was, and the. People didn't make anything back then. Right. People were in a hurry to do. They had to get it done, and and there was stuff going on. You had to just hit the deck. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, and I've talked about this before with people back in the day. The, every surfboard building is a closed door society. Right. No one was allowed in that door. You had to have a reason to be there. You don't just come walking in anywhere without getting your ass beat. Yeah. You're just no. So then there's competition between all the shops, the of procedures course. of how they do things. And back then it was way different than now. So um, Now it, people are posting it on it Instagram. Bit, yeah, it yeah. was a big mystery, which I think I missed that. 
Because then there was the inner circle people that were on the inside. Then there was the people who were partway there who built their own boards in between. And then there was the people who didn't know anything and they had to go to a shop to get a board. It was like there was, it was really, really different. And there were, but there was a lot less people surfing then too. Mm -hmm. We were not respected, let me tell you. As surfers. Hell no. Yeah. We were heavily uh, long hair, you know, I got hassled all the time. This important surfboard manufacturing epicenter of the late 60s and early 70s, Hermosa Beach, is part of the South Bay. That's the South Bay of Los Angeles, which is, of course, a sprawling metropolis. This important part of surf history and experience was just a little fringe community on the coast of L.A., Wayne was a mere 20 miles from Hollywood, from Beverly Hills, 13 miles from Venice Beach, where the Dogtown surf-slash-skate scene would take place. So there was this real mix of intensely passionate subcultures, which, for the most part, were countercultures to the mainstream of what was happening in Los Angeles and elsewhere in the country. There was tough times back then we were having. There was all kind of problems and civil unrest. And mm. We had lots of riots, not you know, around that time and a little later. And then there was there was like you know, it 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 was it. What was really cool was um, the Hell's Angels used to come down a lot and hang out at either you know one of the Hennessy's Pier Fifty Two along there. They'd they'd set up their bikes all along you know, Pier Avenue right from the pier and just in a row. Never hassled anybody. They were really cool. Hmm. Actually, as a little kid, I dug those guys, and they were really nice to me. I thought it was bitching. Well, again, you mentioned innocence. You probably had no idea. I knew who they were. You did? Oh, everyone knows who they are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, when they roll in, the thunder, the sound, and the whole, you're just like, whoa. Totally. They own the place, right? That's yeah. it. But really, never caused any trouble. Hmm. You know, oh, there was, you know, there was occasional knifing or something. It wasn't like the shootouts we have now. Sure. Or you know, chains and pipes, stuff like that. But um, it was just a. There was a, a diverse crew. There was. I really enjoyed growing up around the lowrider culture. A bunch of my friends were in that because I grew up close to, up. Closer to the border of North Redondo, my mother's best friend was a wonderful Carmen Sales. This Mexican lady was just so cool. She was like my auntie, mm. and I I grew up with with her kids, and and they were great, man. You know, it was so I had the car culture going early there with those guys, and then there was a lot of hot rod stuff around too. Talking about a lot of things that have created. The culture, the California, the SoCal and NorCal culture, the whole California, really. But it's just um, it was a it was. I think there was a lot of industry after the war. Yeah. Okay. It was like my parents. They were both worked. They met in flight test at North American. North American built a lot of the great early. You know, all the airplanes that helped help. You know, get keep us free. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, 
So there was all this technology and these materials and things like that that were developed for all that, which have really helped in in the surfboard world. Totally. Bob Simmons was the guy who really took that to its height and and really showed everybody, hey, check this stuff out. Yeah. Right. Fiberglass. Yep. Uh huh. Pretty cool stuff. But the whole yeah, realizing it. Uh, the only thing we had to read when I was a kid was Doc Ball's book. Yep. Okay. Um, and it was really great. It was like, wow, okay, there's this, there's this, you know, surfing and paddling. It was kind of all connected. Hmm. And being a water person, it was right. kind of like that. But then it was starting to show that it was going to become something more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yes, you were... In that, the midst of it, that tells you how how old I am. It's funny because I can't imagine what it would have been like now to grow up and seeing people doing airs and know that's possible. We used to really, I mean, uh, wonder about that back in the in the day. Could you actually leave the wave and and then think about doing an aerial three sixty? Was like that would be the ultimate. Could it really be possible? That'd be like flying to the moon. Yeah. in a Cessna one fifty. To right. us, right? right? We're just like that's, you know, you can't possibly do that on a heavy board with a this and a that. But things have changed. The biggest limitation in your guys' imagination then was really just board design. You know, that was what was encumbering. Yeah, doing that aerial. Probably. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and people that that were were not willing to settle for what was happening and would would just go experiment mm-hmm. and. And that that was, I think, um, what drives the fascination with the whole thing is is the people that like the modern day Daniel Thompson. Yep. He's my hero, really, because he doesn't let anything stop his mind from. I really dig that guy. Hmm. He he's very. He's real too. He's real. He's he's a good dude. Have you gotten to know him at all? Yeah, yeah. Spent really, time with him. Really dig him, man. He's a good surfer. Oh, he's just. Uh, it's a whole package. Yeah, him. yeah. He's he's got the mind. He's got the he's he's got the hands on, and he's and he's able to p- apply it, and then he can go out and and actually test it, yeah. which is the the essence of really being a true surfer shaper, which is what I've always wanted to try to become when I grow up. That, <laughs> that's what I've always wanted to try to become. And uh, as far as like the passion of it all is so, <laughs> it's it's so amazing. It's such a privilege. It's so challenging and so humbling and so um, it's it it has such highs and such lows that blow your friggin' mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it 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 it's made me at times pretty neurotically messed up, and and chasing the highs and lows. Yeah, it's really. But you know, all I can say to anybody who thinks or who who aspires to mess around with it is, when you find something that isn't working. That's your opportunity to really dig deep and kick the ego to the side and go, okay, I need to find out why. And those are the things that once you can get get dig into why that didn't do what you thought and you can and this is sort of a little higher level thinking, but you know, when you're when you're applying it, 
and you get an immediate response you don't like, then you, if you can find out what did that, and then it's going to take, you know, it's time and it's money. It's money to make another board or make a change or do this or that. And you got to do all that stuff in a, in a business that really, well, it's, you're, you're just paying forward for, really for me, it's been for my friends. You talked about wanting to be the surfer shaper That's, and about how Daniel's done that successfully. Yeah. Um, how there are there are surfboard shapers who actually don't surf any longer, you right. know. And I've always been conflicted about that a little bit internally. And right. I I guess they understand design theory well enough, and they surfed well enough back in the day, and they work closely enough with enough surfers, but. And they're able to do it successfully. But how important is your surf experience to your shaping experience? I can answer that perfectly because anybody who's... I think I think that uh, people that... Anyone who's surfed enough to have a baseline, they have enough to... If, if they're really into what they're doing, that they can shape an incredible surfboard. And then what they can do is they can have people who are close to them give them the feedback right so it's 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 it i mean um they just it's like another tool yeah and so they're able to do just fine and there's no problem with that at all um even you know i don't so i really i think it's in in some regards there's 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 one side of that that's all the same there's a different side of it when um, in specialized things, very specialized things, where um, like in little 70s type barrel riding boards or something like that, where you're just, you're, you're in the water all the time, you, you go out and you surf, or, and you get out of the water after a good swell, and you go home that night and you shape a board and you glass it all night. That was kind of, and then you go back the next morning, the swell's still going, and you're riding it. You're comparing. You're you're able to, you're you're able to dial in certain little little things that that are key elements to to maybe what you're looking for in the feel of a board, which maybe not everybody wants that. So. But you know, in a, in a sense, though, it's it is it is a it's it's kind of an elite little group of people working together for specific things that seem to be magical for a certain type of a wave. I know okay? that's the thing. Now it's a certain type of wave. The whole bottom line: when somebody says, uh, you know, can you make me a custom board? The first question is, where are you going to surf it? How do you want to surf? what do you what's your style what is what is what do you what do you want out of it and what are the conditions that you normally are going to be surfing it in the most just to try to get a fundamental basic like place to start yeah you know but you're also limited by their ability to communicate well you are that's you know, uh, it's bad like... people i've had people tell me you know when they walk up and say i surf like tommy curran or exactly. something you got a problem right <laughs> So no matter what you make them, it's probably not going to work that good. Yeah. But um, so yeah, it's yeah. it's but within reason, it's it's a good way to kind of at least get get 
get your mind. See, then I just try to imagine and then go into, okay, what do I have that that I could try to offer? And that would be, you know. <laughs> well, that's, where I, that's why I think that your own personal surf experience would be hugely beneficial to your design uh, progress. Well, that's where people specialize. It's like, you know, um, like... I don't put guns on the shelf. I don't, but I'll make them for specific friends. I was never a a, a, a big wave rider to to anything close to today's standards. But in the old days, you could ride some size and enough to really and and be into it. And you know, so I'll I'll do boards for f- friends. It's it's just you know people that and we're working together on a project to trust. Mm-hmm. See, mm-hmm. so we just learn together. And I just those are just. Those are kept over here, and then uh, stuff that, but stuff I've put a lot of time into over the years through the longboarding resurgence um, has been, uh, you know, that everything from from a, a performance type single fin longboard that that's even you know we went through the tri-fin era you know and all that the two plus one i still have to make some of those because some people really like them and and everything but the logging things come back and that's what we grew up on see in south bay the cool thing was when you grow up three blocks at at the most away from all these factories there's when we were kids there were all these great boards laying around and so what we would do in the 70s was ride the logs that were laying in everybody's backyards when it blew out so we it always blew out south bay it blows out by 10 o'clock you know Mm. 10 11 o'clock it's over you're sitting there looking at the stacks at the you know at the uh you know uh SoCal Edison, and and you see the little steam coming off, yeah, and you know you could just watch it by like nine it was almost vertical and by ten it was on shore, most of the time. Yeah. So that was a that was our our way of keeping a track of what the hell is going on with the wind. But we would get out of the ride our you know our little pocket rockets and then. Um, yeah, we'd jump on the logs. So we were doing that, keeping that alive back yeah. then. We we had our little style sessions, and it was really cool. So where did you build your first board? Like, where did you shape your first surfboard? And well, in the, in the driveway okay. is usually where that's okay. <laughs> on a pair of sawhorses. You're like, okay, uh, I don't really have a pair of racks, but these will work. And it's a stripped-down board. Got it. So, yeah. And how old were you? Yeah, um... It was later. Well, the first board I really worked on in my bio isn't all the way correct because I was when I was a little kid. I I stripped down a belly board and reworked that. Oh, you did. Yeah, I was trying to learn how to stand up on it. It was yeah. about a four, uh, three, uh, three and a half, three. It was almost a four foot long belly board. It was a little less, maybe it was like three, three foot eight or something, hmm. and. Uh, it had a paze, it had like a flowery bottom and a blue deck that was uh, opaque and uh, had a flat deck and a foiled up bottom with a little area of where you could try to put sort of a fin in the middle right and so the fin was busted off and i i didn't know how to work with roving or cloth really I remember the and so i started working on that and i was i don't know i was like 12 13 
and and but but really trying to strip down a real surfboard you know it was later like mm-hmm. like you know 17 18 in there and then just creating this project i remember doing one and you stripped it down you get so itchy doing that parents are what the hell are you doing mm-hmm. you just got pieces of torn fiberglass everywhere it's sharp as hell there's just pieces of shards flying you're tearing the stuff off it's friggin' everywhere making the huge mess what the hell are you doing yeah. in the driveway i'm making uh, i'm gonna reshape this are you gonna clean that up no it's like and then sweeping it up and then you know anything within like 20 yards of that you're just itchier than hell it's impossible it's to clean a, up yeah. yeah so but i remember the first one i tried to work on i just ended up shaping it down shaping it down shaping it down i didn't like it didn't like it just ended up snapping it into pieces and throwing it all away okay it was done the whole thing was end up in the trash wow i didn't like it and i couldn't do it yeah <laughs> so then later when i was like 19 finally i kept you know i didn't want to ride anything i made i rode bendixson's boards and phil becker and uh, a guy named Redman, who uh, who was one of the great guys in my life that came up through the south he he, he his name was bob manville but Redman. He was a legendary guy, and uh, he's not with us anymore, but he was really one of the true characters again. And and I'll say this, surfing and and surfboard building both have some of the greatest characters on this planet. Totally. It is so cool, and I feel really fortunate to have been able to meet most of them. Really? In my life. Yeah. And, and, the one, and be able to have learned from these people. Yeah. Uh, um in yeah it's just uh it's it's a funny world of of just there's humor there's everything from in the surfboard world there was everything from hardcore drinking partying drugs high intensity surfing and you know, getting slammed and breaking boards and putting them back together and just talking about how stoked you are and what you're trying to do and everything when I was growing up was style and trying to ride the tube and then off the tops and roller coasters and cut roundhouse cutbacks. That was kind of nowadays those aren't even maneuvers technically, right? right? Yeah. But they're just connecting they're maneuvers. just yeah. So but compared to being on a log that was big action back then. Yeah. And so that's where the style was so important um, back then because if you had a more stable board that, that did all that stuff, then you could you had something, you had a platform to work on your style. Right. Which has, to some degree, been lost because the moves are so incredible that the, the contortions of the body to pull them off have had to adapt to that, Absolutely. which is in itself... I think really incredible, and I have I love I love seeing how where surfing's gone. I don't I'm not one of those older guys that's all down on it at all. I think it's just it amazes me. And how it, how closely do you pay attention? Are you watching the WSL events? I do watch some of them. I don't watch all of them because I don't have time. You know, yeah. it's like I've, I've got my own problems in life trying to keep the wheels on the track yeah and but i do watch some of the stuff i really enjoy it and i'm glad that i know that there's politics and all that bullshit and everything i don't care yeah. i'm only looking at 
what I see in the water too surfing now you know and I see it there too because I get to surf some pretty nice places with high-end surfers and I just love watching them surf it's it just makes me feel like all of those dreams about what could happen mm -hmm. with design and surfing ability and capability and just that open-mindedness that more was that what we thought could be possible has it's gone five times farther oh, yeah. than that which is totally. really totally amazing and i think people will never understand how dangerous these moves are these guys are doing these guys and girls they're all doing when you commit to a lot of the maneuvers they do to come down on top of a board like that in some of the critical juicy places they do it on yeah. a wave to me is like really that takes some balls I that agree. takes some guts because you can get really hurt and and you get watered up and and so i think that that people have a tremendous amount of guts to go for a lot of these moves they're doing in yeah. the places they're doing them on the wave and in the kind of surf they're doing it in. It's just mind-boggling to I, me. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Totally agree. And I think that the surfers are better athletes now than they've ever been. <laughs> like they train harder and they prepare their body more for some of the impact that you're talking about. Well, yeah. And endurance-wise in terms of their diet and yeah, let's stretching. Go th let's go there for a second. So here's <laughs> what's funny. All right. <laughs> You know, when we were, our deal was, okay, it went from the 60s of Hellraiser, those guys, the Lance Carsons and the, you know, who I love Lance yeah. so much. He's, when I think about Malibu, everybody thinks about Dora, and I do too, because Dora was, well, he was the man. For me, Lance Carson was 
the man more than anybody for me. Yeah. Because Lance is is and represents a man's man to every extent of the height of the top level of it being what it is. Okay. He not only was it the the He's the whole. He's the real deal all the way around. Okay. Okay. Like nobody fucks with Lance. You know what I mean? He's he's gonna deal with it. You got and, any stories and not you want to share? That, well, no, not not really. <laughs> but um, I could. But not necessary. What matters is this: is that he was. He just he had a very long lasting time there. And and he kept going, and man, even when he was in his forties and in his fifties, that guy was the standout guy at the top level of understanding true longboarding and style, and 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 just laying it down in front of everybody, and just. Are you talking about at Malibu specifically? Yeah, I'm talking about at First Point Malibu. Yeah, a hundred percent. He owned the place. Okay, so there and there were others too, but I, I'm just saying for me, yeah, he's my guy. Totally. Okay. I know that you've been experimenting with asymmetrical design, mm-hmm. and it's kind of been an ongoing conversation on this podcast. I've had Carl Ekstrom mm-hmm. on, Donnie Brink from San Clemente, Matt Parker, who does album mm-hmm. surfboards. So we've had this kind of ongoing conversation, and everybody kind of deci- or discusses asymmetrical design differently. What was your first introduction to it, and what about it appeals to you? From what? I've been watching Carl Ekstrom's stuff for my whole life. Okay, he's he's like always been one of the premier guys. I would call I would I've tried to do stuff like his his philosophy is low production, high quality, or low production, um, heavily thought out stuff. Right, very low production. <laughs> yeah, so you know. But Carl, like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really. Uh, and then you know, we saw him in the seventies. The uh, my friend Jeff Widener used to shape these ones back in the day for Jacob Surfboards, and uh, you know, they they've been around a long time. But but I think um, there's a big difference between just changing the template versus changing the flow of the foil from one side to the other and the bottom contours and the rail the rails and how they work with it all and and the whole you know there's there's so Carl you know Carl takes it he he's the king and we're all just kind of walking around going okay thank you for helping us open our minds and now that you've now that you've now that you've messed us all up, let's see. Let's uh, let's see what we can do with this. Now, I love the, you know, and well, I love Carl, man. Yeah, I do he's, too. He's a bitchiness guy ever. And but what you're, I think that the novice, like <laughs> let's just say a surfer who's walking down the beach, yeah. who's used to riding high performance shortboards, they see the asymmet- asymmetrical um, outline. Right. That already confuses them enough, and there's. When you mentioned about bottom contour and rails, there's so many variables 
that it's hard for that novice to really even grasp. Yeah, well, you know, here's... Let me try to straighten some things out. Now, I don't know how other people feel about it. They may not like what I'm going to say right now. That I don't care about because... um, uh, this is just from the heart uh, and from just being around surfing my whole life. They're not better than anything else. That has nothing to do with it. You know, this is a... Uh, and let that plane go by. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what it boils down to is this. Modern day surfing and the ultimate of ripping a wave and tearing it apart. I mean, it, it's not necessarily going to make... A, a real difference in anything like that. It's not really like that. These are alternative ideas and designs. They might, for a certain person and the way they surf, g- give them something that. Um, I guess. I guess this is how I look at it. Works very well for them. You could also get on a regular board and it feels better or the same or whatever. It depends. So really, I mean, I don't think it's it's. Uh, when I get on the ones I've made and I write them, it, this is the weirdest thing. They don't feel asymmetrical at all to me. They feel like a surfboard. Okay, that's the that's the really that's when I found out how much I didn't know. The reason I'm fascinated with it is because, and I called Carl to tell him. I go, Carl, they, uh, you know, can you explain to me why it's not feeling? I don't. It they just it. They surf really well. I mean, for what I'm trying to get out of the board for for what I'm doing, but you know, it it just it 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 was like, but they don't feel like there's anything asymmetrical at all. Now I'll tell you what I really learned about was fin placement. Um, how much I didn't know about that and thought I knew quite a bit about it because I've been into fins my whole life. I've been making fins. I worked with Chuck at True Ames. We've been working together for 25 years building fins together, you know, off and on. Now, you know, he makes, I just, I just tinker around with ideas and mess around with them and then he helps me dial them in. But, um, and, and produce something really nice. I mean, the stuff, I can do them, but it's too hard for me. You know, yeah. He's just better at it. Everything he does there, up those guys, Will and those guys, they're just, they're doing insane stuff. Wayne's introduction to asymmetry came when he received an invitation to compete in the 2011 boardroom show Icons of Phone Shaping Competition, which was honoring Carl Ekstrom. Ekstrom tasked the six shapers to design an asymmetrical board and provide an explanation for why each design decision was made. Wayne competed against Matt Biolis, Daniel Thompson, Ryan Birch, Tim Bassell, and George Gall. The nine months of lead time required Wayne to begin to analyze aspects of board design in a way that he hadn't since he was first introduced to surfboard building. I was flipping out. I wasn't even going to... I probably never would have built an ASIM. I don't know. I got invited by Carl to shape in his shape-off. Okay? And so I knew I was in, I think it was six or nine months before. It might have been nine months. It was It was a pretty early notice. I was kind of freaking out. And then, you know, going up against Daniel Thompson, Ryan Birch... George Gall and Matt Biolos and uh, let's see uh, and, and then Tim 
Tim Bissell, who's an incredible artistical guy. You know, I'm like, I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, there's no way. I mean, what those guys are, you know, they're they're into this thing. So I had to actually build a working model, but but this what happened was I had months went by and I had three or four blanks in my house right over there leaned up with you know drawings on them and everything else and I just couldn't I didn't like any of it I didn't like it because it didn't have a an actual I couldn't get the purpose figured out for what I was doing which right. is when you go back to the original thing with Bendixson why do you put what where well that's what design and shape is if you don't know what the fuck you're doing you shouldn't even do it right you should know the end goal before you so yeah it it, it comes down to um, to if you're going to try to come up with with something like this now Carl had a really different format he wanted a five minute thesis on the design to explain what you'd done and why and he didn't want us doing anything that had already been done so I got down to the end Hanky Warner one of my best friends um, I call him I'm freaking I got like a month I'm down to a month or like five weeks and somewhere in there and I'm, I'm I don't know what to do I don't know what to make I don't know what to do I mean what am I going to do and and Hanky goes well don't get in their box you know don't don't get in that little five foot box that they're in the five foot board range you know and I was like yeah I can't ride one I got to make something I can I can go out and ride in some surf that we've got here right now and so and he was saying, well, maybe you should just do something a little longer, like an 8.6. And I'm just going, no, man, I can't. I, can't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So I call Roper, Joe Roper, another just one of my best friends I look up to. I'm tripping. Joe, I'm freaking out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What What should I do? I've got all these. I, can I send you some pictures of what I've He goes, hey, I got it. I got it. I got it. Just stop. Relax. Relax. You know, he I go, okay, what? He goes, okay, I got it. On your front side, make a little, like a little, little short wide point forward pintail minigun, little barrel rider for the points you like up there. It's a real hollow little something that works in there. And then just do like an 80s quad on the back side with, a, with just an, like just put a radical wing on it or something, right? And it was like literally the friggin' bell went off in mm. my head. It was just like, boom. And I went, okay, okay, I can, I can, I can see that. I actually could visualize it, right? So then I start messing around with it. I made a little cardboard template, you know, everything, and I'm playing around with it, looking at. It. And then what am I going to do with the bottom contours? I'm going to do this. I increase the I did what I decided to do was offset the stringer two inches over to hit the pintail right so I decided you know in theory I had always thought you don't need a true center line on a surfboard because a true center line doesn't make any sense because the water is never really running it's it's always moving in different directions you're taking off it's a diagonal thing you've got all these things these these forces and and you're always moving rail to rail directional changes constantly 
So I want to make a case that we don't have to have a true center line. You can have an offset center line. So I did that. And then um, I did a tapered stringer from, uh, I think, 3 sixteenths at the nose to a, almost a little less than a sixteenth at the tail, something like that. So tapered stringer to get, don't want any flex in the front of the board, would like to have a little bit in the back, um, if you're going to have any. Kind of like, you know, the San Diego guys and the fish type thing. So then double barrel, you know, I kind of did these little double barrel concaves, but I put the bigger double barrel into the, into the, um, on the backside part, you know, where the, where the backside, you know, or the backhand, so it's kind of like it's got, it's got a four times deeper concave on that side. And what's interesting is when you turn the board on the front side, I never realized how much, how much actual action is going on on the opposite side of the board. Mm. The water is flowing over at full speed. So there's been a whole bunch of interesting things we've learned of this. But anyway, the other thing I tried to do was sort of pinch the concave right at right where your back foot is over the forward fins. I tried to pinch it into sort of a venturi type shape a little bit where I could, you know, where it would kind of like push the water in and then and then release it behind your back foot a little more. Hmm. And so that was that was kind of in the in the little design thesis. And then the rails were a little boxier on the on the back side and then they were a little more pinched on the front side for the barrel right. Anyway, I made a model, wrote it and and I completely ended up digging the board and then I went into building fins for the board, which was a whole nother nightmare of, of insanity. Yeah. So I started making all these fins and, and doing all this stuff and 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 uh, um, ended up that's been an, an ongoing evolution. I'm still yeah. not sure what the hell's going on there. Yeah. I've figured out though that I had way too much fin in the beginning on the lead fins because I made these kind of an interesting little cutaway dog ear things that kind of came back. And and they it worked well board was fun i had enough but I, what, I, what i was able to do is i had enough um positive feedback well I, I just had enough of an idea of what was going on with the board to compare it to my other short boards okay at the time that i could actually have some idea of 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 the validity of any of the design of, of any of any at any level right to have something because i felt like i can't go in and make a board if I don't have that. And so that was kind of how I did it. And I didn't really expect to win the thing. I went down there. I just wanted to be able to come up with something respectable that was a little different that, that would stoke Carl out and that, that he and and Stan Pliskunas, who was there with Carl to do the judging, and Rusty. But, you know, Stan's an old friend of mine, too. And, I you know, it, it's like when you get asked to do those things, it's really to represent Carl. Right. I was going down there to show Carl how much I love and respect him as a man and as a designer and a bright mind in this world. And Stan, too, as well, because those guys are very much alike in that. And then Rusty as well, like, you know, to, you know, I've looked up to him for, I've known a long time and, and, you know, my whole career. And just to be able to, all you're trying to do is just, is just show up and, and, and make something cool. And you know what? Everybody did that. 
Mm-hmm. Every single person did that. Yeah. And it was really cool. There wasn't anything alike on any of the boards. They were all 100% different. And it, I learned so much by looking at everybody else's boards. Sure. And um, it, was, it was a great experience. It was one of the funnest things ever. It was actually the funnest of all of those things. Was it? The other ones are really stressful. It wasn't stressful for me because I didn't go in there... Um, it was it yeah it was just uh it was more the wanting to stoke out carl and and the and the people it yeah. was it was more f- like that but us blanks made me up this killer blank i asked him for it was really bitching i called and talked to jeff i go hey is this going to be a problem i want to do this and this i mean it's this. and he was like he was really cool about it. He goes, "No, we can we can glue you up whatever you want." So I glued up kind of an interesting wedged stringer with wedged foam too, which kind of gave a different effect to the board too. So yeah, you know, I think some of that might have swayed it a little bit or whatever. But we see uh, surfboard shapers' designs and design ideas and theories evolve, and I think more than evolve, they get refined over time. You know. Um, but at the same time, there's hydrodynamic principles mm-hmm. that never change, you know? So <laughs> in one sense, uh, principle stays the same, but design ideas we see go through these evolutions that are always kind of changing. You want my take on that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think a lot of the stuff you see out there, and this isn't, this is just, again, from the heart. I think some of it there's not enough velocity that we're up against on a wave to tell a whole lot of difference with some of it. So it becomes just cool looking and different and artsy, right? Right. Okay. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't have validity. It's just that, but some of the, some of the more basic stuff, see, because usually it's, it's, uh, um, let's use uh, Tomo. Daniel's stuff as an example he now see when he does those little micro concaves he does and stuff like that I think that stuff's really got a a pretty serious purpose okay Um, those kind of things that I think that's the kind of stuff that that is functional that has 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 merit you know there are these are those but when when it's just a if it's like i say again uh interesting template break yeah you you know you're creating a different place to apex the 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 push on the board and turn it off of the apex of the corner of the board or wherever the part of the board that's in the water and then again your fin setup is just as important as all the other stuff so if you don't have the right fin setup you can throw it out the window too right so it it's really it comes down to yes the dynamics of bernoulli's principle are always in effect you know it's like that's all you know pressure and difference of pressure and and all that kind of stuff is very very important but exactly how to harness that stuff and figure out how to apply it is is very it's 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 <laughs> it's it's a lot of trial and error that's where it does help to be getting on the boards constantly and trying one thing to another exactly. with subtle changes now subtle exactly. and that's where i think really um most of the 
most of the best boards, the most magical boards, in a lot of ways, have a lot of simplicity to them to some extent. Now, that's an interesting word because <laughs> they might look real simple, but just to get a proper and a really a magic rocker in a board or a magic amount of foil in a specific area of a surfboard for a type of purpose of a type of surfing for a type of wave that you're riding that's not easy to do no that's you know well, that's why i was saying <laughs> it's much more refinement than it is evolution yeah it is you know? it is so so when when really at high, at the highest level of of what people are doing nowadays um you know just taking taking foil out of an area of a board of a sixteenth to an eighth of an inch for somebody really good could make the difference of of a board being a dog or being yeah. magic, right? Sure. And that area that it's being removed is in a 16 to 18 inch zone. Right. Right. On December 4th, 2007, during a particularly large swell, Wayne was surfing near his home just north of Rincon. It was double overhead, super hollow and heavy. Wayne took off on his second wave of the day and pulled into a throaty right-handed tube. It closed out, and Wayne ended up getting violently thrashed underwater. In the melee, he felt his neck crack and his body go numb. Temporarily paralyzed, he was dragged into the bay, completely at the mercy of the next ten waves. He eventually was able to regain some semblance of composure and through the grace of the ocean was washed ashore. He knew it was a close call, but he didn't know how serious his injury was until three months later. During that time, he dealt with tremendous bouts of pain and numbness and his muscles noticeably atrophied. After visiting a neurologist and getting an MRI, Wayne learned that he needed a spinal fusion. I, of course, was curious to know how that injury affected not only Wayne's surf lifestyle, but also how it informed and influenced him as a shaper. Got hurt, needed help, and had a bunch of people in the surfing community my friends and everybody and family come together and help me financially and they had two fundraisers and just to you know when you spend your life paying it forward to certain things um you know and you just i used to be really really jaded about how about some of that stuff and and uh um you know to the point of of being sometimes pretty negative which is is not the way to be but this is this is years back and and just um because the work is so hard what we do it's it's uh you know really what you're what you're getting paid in is is people is is relationships with people and how and how awesome people are and when we're what i realized through that was if i would have died right then um 
how important it was and how lucky I was to have had all these great relationships with people, building surfboards or work making things, just making things, mm-hmm. fabricating things, right? Been doing that all my life. That's all I've ever done is make things for people, whether it be woodworking, boat building, mm-hmm. you know, fine woodworking, all that kind of stuff. That was my original background. So, And then also working on, I was supposed to be a mechanic working on jet aircraft or working on high-end cars and stuff like that, you know, and even potentially um, race cars with a friend, but I never ended up going that. I kind of got pulled in so many directions, but when I went into that with the accident, um, yeah, coming back into uh, just, okay, you're kind of starting over, and and luckily Javier Romero, great friend through Woolly Bear, Woolly Bear really helped me out, Mike Ortega get hooked up with Javier, and he, he got me in contact with Jay Herman and another friend of mine, Kevin English, who was a doctor, helped me out too in a huge way to to get the right... Jay Herman, he's a neurosurgeon, he did the surgery. And, and you know, you don't know what you're going to get to do afterward. Right. And uh, my neck, you know, it was, it was close. I could have been... It was very close to being paralyzed from the neck down. So... Um, I had a bunch of debris up against my my spinal cord. It was actually impinging it, pushing it into an angle. So, anyhow, that all those people coming together and doing that for me and the showing of love was so incredible that it it changed me forever. Hmm. Like as far as appreciation of just the most simple things in life. So now I remember when I walked down with Alicia to, to at the time to the water and I walked, she walked me down to, to feel the water in my, against my toes and my feet here locally. And just to feel that again, and I'd been away from it for at the time about six months. Um, it was, it made me just pour tears out because it just felt so good just to feel that feeling of that cold water on my feet mm-hmm. of just the this is the ocean see it's that ocean connection man that's what it is it's 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 yeah. like it's like when my mom put me through that wave yeah. or whatever you just it's that feeling of that water and that that it makes you it it fixes like so many things in your mind it's it's so friggin amazing it's like wow okay and then you know am i going to get to do this again i don't know that yet i'm not sure but all i know is this feels really good and i can hardly wait to just lay on a surfboard in the water i don't care and just look around and smell all the smells and watch the sun going over the other side of the point or whatever and just kind of just look around at the beautiful colors and that was it and like um from here and from then I've been fortunate enough to have you know I'm kind of a, a little bit of a hard nose on I'm a stubborn person uh, I I wanted to go back and I ended up getting well enough within a couple of years three years in I was back at the same place where I got hurt wow and it on a pretty good sized day and I and I I was able to face that and challenge it again and 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 it it, you know it was it's just uh it's such a blessing um my favorite or my heroes are the jesse bill hours of the world right 
um, whenever I see Jesse, I just come up to him and she, hug him, and I can't help it, but I cry. You know, I cry because uh, why? Why am I allowed? And he isn't. It. It is really. It's unfair to me. I don't know. It's. It's really hard for me to understand all that stuff. That's not for us to understand. That's for sure. God. That's God's will. I don't. Un, you know. And I've been really watched over and have. Don't know why I deserve that. Yeah. Okay. So it's confusing at times and and stuff like that. But now it's. It, I guess in in general, what I've realized is. Is that I can be happy with a lot less than I used to be. I'm still competitive. I've always been competitive about everything I've ever done, but less now. I'm trying to. Get, I'm getting. I'm almost 60 years old coming up. So, you know, I'm pretty soon. So it's like, hmm. I can slow it down a little bit, but there's there's just certain things in a personality that are hard to change. Of course. You know, I'm in a, a very obsessive person. I've yeah. been in a room for you know by myself, working for, you know. 35 years or more. Well, so what is your surf experience like now? How often do you surf and all that? Well, I try to surf, you know, I try to, I'd love to be able to surf two times a week, you know, for four, four hours, you know, that would be my, you know, that's that, that way you can kind of stay in touch with what's going on and, you know, stay out for minimum of three hours that's always been my three to four hour thing i'm hurting now by the time i'm into an hour and a half that's the good part and then i'm falling off physically so you got to watch out you you don't you just have to understand that you know if your if your reactions are slowing down you know you have to adjust what you're doing and and if it depends on where you're surfing stuff too but and if you're what if you're riding a little board or bigger board bigger boards more forgiving easier more fun you know it's just a little more it's not as it's not as heavy as being in a critical situation. Yeah. But but it really, um, yeah. Just understanding your limitations, I guess, more, and not throwing them out the window like I used to. Right. And and you know when when you're fearless 100, um, percent and that's the way I've been all of my life until the accident. Then after that, I couldn't do that because I, I owe it to the people who've helped me. I owe it to, right. you know, and I have to respect what's happened to me. And, you know, when I sent these pictures to Javier Romero and Jay Herman, these pictures of me surfing, they were ready to kick my ass. Really? Oh, they were like, really? Right. Like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Yeah. And I was like, what? And they're like, don't what? Me. Like yeah. you're being irresponsible with their work at this point. That was kind of what... It, and then I explained to Jay and, and Javi what I was doing. I said, look, I'm training for this. I'm training and I'm only doing this. And I'm only taking things that I pr- feel... That I feel like, you know, like in surfing, it's 100% or nothing. I don't know about that 110% because if you got 100%, you can't really... I don't know if you can put any more than that. <laughs> right. But if you could, let's just say you're going to peg the ceiling at 100%, peg the needle. You take off on any wave in surfing, you should peg the needle every time you're doing it. If you intend to take a wave, you always have to do that, and you believe you can make anything. That's just the way you have to approach the ocean. You don't ever think you're ever going to fall or get hurt or nothing. You right. don't. You don't even think about that, and I never do. I just, but I do respect it. And and if I, now in a split second situation when something goes wrong, you should know how to 
how to fall, how to cover it. All that's based on martial arts. So, you know, when you spend your life doing that too, it really helps. So that's helped me survive. You yeah. know, that's helped me a lot. Uh, um, I'm curious, do you ride other people's surfboards? Sometimes. Um, you know, I not a lot, but I do love to do that because it's fun to get out of your mind. And that's it's, what I would it's think. Very, it's very, it kind of, it can break you out of tunnel vision sometimes, right. things like that. Um, you know, I do, I do. And, it, and it's... Uh, I don't care what it is. You give me a surfboard if there's waves. I just want to surf. Okay. I don't. I, I'm not too hung up on if the board's working good. I don't care who shaped it. Of course. I just want to ride the damn thing. <laughs> Let me ask you this then. Um, you've worked and been around a lot of iconic, important board builders. Yeah. Who is somebody that you would love to have a board shaped from, or would have loved to have had a board shaped from, that you've never? Oh had wow, that's really good. I'll tell you what. Um, I'm going to name a few guys. I'd like to have... You only get one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Give me a few. <laughs> yeah, I can't do just one. I don't know. Um, it just, you know... If it was a... Uh, if I could go back and get a single fin, custom-shaped diff, get a Mike Diffender for Billy Caster, way back in the day, I'll tell you what I would like is is... You know, a real one of those weird Michael Peterson boards that mm. he made back at the end of his in his greatest era. That would be really cool to have something like that. I'd love to have a Mark Richards twin fin, about a nineteen, like around nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. You know, type twin fin. If it was going to be a twin fin, um, I would I would really love to have. Uh, be nice to have a Yater spoon, hmm. you know, a big one, sort of a bigger one, like a a nine eight or a nine nine something in there. That'd be cool. You don't have, have a Yater spoon. I don't have a Yater spoon. I would. I think, should. I, I would know. think that'd be a. I worked so you. close with them for so long. It's funny. I was. I used to walk in there. This is the funniest thing with Rennie. I'd walk in and go because I was shaping in his son's room at Clyde Beatty's factory. And and well, it was Rennie's originally, and and I'd walk in and go, Rennie, I want a board. And he goes, No, why? Why do you want me to shape? You? Just make yourself one. I'm like, Rennie, come on, I want one of your boards. He'd like smile and he just looks at me and he's like, Okay, well, I don't know. You know, just make yourself one. You know what to do. Just go make your own. So it was like, you know, but I I really should I should hit him up. You know, yeah, it would man. be neat. I've, I've uh, of course, you know, everybody's going to say Brewer and stuff like that. Sure, I'd love to have a nice, nice yeah. older. Now, I'm talking like, I would like, I liked the boards that were happening in the mid-70s, mid to later 70s. Um, with, with, I like wing round pins. I make them a lot myself. I call mine a sniper. But, you know, that's, that's just a, there's something um, romantic about, when you look at them, and they, they're just style surfing boards. They're not, uh, you know, they're just, uh, they fit well into what I can do now on the wave, which isn't, okay. isn't, isn't anything spectacular, but, can, you know, they do, they do ride the pocket well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, old type off the tops and, and yeah. old style cutbacks, roundhousey stuff, and uh, all those old terms that we don't know what they are anymore, you know. Off the lip, roller coaster. Let's see, what did we used to climb and drop? 
bottom turns, they bottom turn nice. I think the bottom turns really one of the wonderful feelings in surfing. I've I always agree. loved it, you know. So, yeah, but yeah, guys, I don't know, you know. There's so many good guys. I'd love to have extra make me Carl make me a uh, some kind of an insane asymmetrical. That would be cool to see what you know, like throw some ideas around together and have, that would be really fun. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, you know, I if I was a big wave surfer and I could really surf big waves, I'd want to have Pat Ross and make me a boy. I would love to be able to sit down with Pat and uh, and and do something because I've always really just dug him as a person and respect him as an individual as well as a surfboard shaper. I mean, yeah. he's just he's a he's 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 good people. Um, you know, let's see bouncing around. Uh, yeah, it's always hard. I'm so close to all these people, you know. Yeah, which is why I think you can get boards from them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they, you know, we're all, it's funny, you know, that whole thing. But, yeah, from back in the day, you know, I've always thought that Billy Castor's stuff was way ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was some pretty amazing stuff going on down there. And, and Diff, of course, he's Mike Diffenderfer. Um I don't know. He's kind of the uh, in the early with when boards became modern and, and brewers right there too. They're very different boards. I like brew, uh, Diff's rail. The he was really getting rid of the the meat out of the rail, you know, and it, it just pretty contemporary. How about going back into? It would be cool to have a Bob Simmons. Oh yeah. There's a board that that the Maestrels have. This twin fin that Bob Simmons made for Billy and Bob Maestrel. Yeah, it's a twin fin. It's 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 foam with balsa uh, veneer. Okay, like vacuum bagged around sure. it or whatever they you know, and then it's got fiberglass around it, and it's got this rail uplifted front rail that that rotates into a down rail, and and the the rail actually inverts at a like. Like three feet back from the nose, from a from a flat deck to a down deck, it's the coolest thing Weird. you've ever seen. You want to talk about it's innovative not. that, and and yeah, I mean just unbelievable. It's like a freaking unreal board. Um, final question for everybody interviewed is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? Recently, the last one. My my asymmetrical. Tell me about it. What height, what size is it? What are the dimensions? Uh, that particular one is about seven zero. Okay. It's approximately three inches thick. It's about twenty and three quarter wide. Tail design, fin. It's setup. a it's a it's a it's a wide point forward pintail mini gun on the front side. Like okay. I've been yeah. developing that board, that Extrem that yeah, I won the Extrem. First. Yeah. yeah. And um, it it is uh, you know the overall tail number is about I want to say it's about fourteen and three quarter or fifteen. It's it's it might be fifteen. I'd have to actually measure it because I made so many of them. This particular one, it's 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 my favorite one right mm. now. It's got a little more overall. Rocker, they look pretty flat, but they're not as flat as they look. And then uh, um, it's uh, 
you know the nose is 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 like maybe a half inch narrower than the tail something like that but it's uh it's it's got the you know the the sort of an 80s quad thing going with the with the little bit of side cut in the wing okay the wing's not as oversized as the one I did for the show um, but it's 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 a very functional board yeah and if I compare it to one of my seven foot snipers that I ride which is a round pin uh, wing round pin conventional you know either single or three fin setup tri fin um, the difference is that because of the tail width I'm getting a lot more a lot more speed and maneuverability off the tail but it still holds in just as good in a juicy way which is really the the main difference I'm feeling in the board that's basically it if you want to just wrap it up in a if you could call anything you ask me simple ever <laughs> it would be it just has the reason I ride it over my sniper, which is a more conventional, really cool board, it just it just has more off the tail for okay. a, for a big board like that. So I ride, you know, that's it's it's a semi gun style board for some size, and it you know it works pretty well. But okay. um, yeah, that was the last board. Awesome. It's an easier question than just like, hey, so what kind of boards are you riding now? I like to give a specific, like, what was the last one? Yeah, before that was my Harmonic 67 Nose Rider. Okay. And and that was, that's, those are the boards that um, had the the last few uh, yeah. deals at Malibu. Nice. You know, since since the accident, I think the, the biggest thing for all my friends and people that, that have helped keep me going in all this have been there for me they've they've been there through the times when i really was just exasperated and wanted to quit but the the stuff that uh, you know i think i've been blessed god's blessed me with a lot of accomplishments since then you know the two the two wins oh, yeah. at the craft the i've had three wins at malibu and the big msa and the in the call to the wall the the, the msa Classic, and then um, I won the log jam up in Santa Cruz, my age division, and and just just you know it just was it just it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it really, it doesn't. It's just stuff that that it's it's easier to just relax and and just love love making these 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 traditional surfboards. Really getting into the you know the last. Uh, it's been a long time. The last ten years, the last decade of really re-examining the true log type longboard single fin and 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 different different approaches with it. The hot dog, the nose riding ones, the ones that kind of mix it up both ways. It, yeah. it just there is so much still to be learned, and I think that that is the, the drive behind it. I feel like I really have a I have. Hell of a lot more to learn. Yeah, <laughs> keeps you going. And yeah, it's uh, so it's never wake up a day feeling secure about what I understand or know yeah. about a surfboard. I don't, I don't, I don't know enough. I'd like to know a hell of a lot more. Yeah. 
likes to shoot his gun, don't know what it means, don't know what it means to love someone. WayneRich.com is his website. You can find a link to it at surfsplendorpodcast.com, where we also have photos of everything that Wayne and I discussed in this episode. And in fact, one person that Wayne talked about a lot in this episode was Carl Ekstrom, his influence on Wayne uh, in regard to asymmetrical board design. I have an episode of Surf Splendor that I did with Carl and with Tom Morey, and that's episode number 76 entitled What Box? And I'll post a link to that on today in today's show notes. iTunes and other podcasting apps only offer the most recent 50 episodes. So episode 76 is further into the archives than that, so you'll need to listen to it directly on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, while you're there, feel free to leave a comment about today's show. Leave a comment for Wayne Rich. I'll be sure to send it to him if you do so. And poke around the website. There's a lot to see. We have an, a music archive of every song ever used in every single episode of Surf Splendor. So check that out. We also recently set up a donation platform. So if you'd like to support the show, you can do it in a number of ways, one of which is to donate financially, or you can simply share this show with friends. That really helps this show to grow. And the larger that the show is, the larger audience we have, the larger guests that we can attract, rad dudes like Wayne Rich. So make sure to continue to share this show with friends. It's as simple as tagging them in our Instagram feed, at Surf Splendor. And it's Thanksgiving week here in the United States. So it's in that spirit that I simply say thank you to Wayne Rich for taking so much time out of the middle of your day to sit with me and share your history. I really appreciate it. And I think that it will be good for posterity to have this living for people to listen to. And thank you to the listeners for continually supporting this show. We really do appreciate it. I really appreciate getting the opportunity to spend my day with guys like Wayne Rich. And as a sign of my gratitude, I will continue to produce this content. So, happy Thanksgiving to all, even if you don't live in the U.S. of A. Sending you a shout-out and a debt of gratitude. And reminding you to get back into the ocean catch a couple waves, and shred on.